the revolutionary new property software built by landlords and trusted by tenants. GoTenants is your one-stop property management assistant that will take the pain away from your tenant recruitment process and the management of your properties. From advertising your property to maintenance reporting, electronic signatures to full property management software. Stop worrying about double bookings and the hassle of unnecessary admin because GoTenants is here to enable you to seamlessly run your portfolio from anywhere in the world. Go to gotenants.co.uk to find out more. And we're back with Joel White. And Joel is the um, MD, the Managing Director of Ramsey and White Specialist Mortgage Providers. So welcome to the show, Joel. Uh, morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. So, Joel, you are a specialist mortgage provider, and I know that you've uh, you've got a wealth of knowledge in the industry. So, so everyone can understand um, who you are and what you do, uh, I'll hand it over to you to uh, give us a brief bio of uh, of what you can do for people in the group. Yeah, so um, thanks, Rick, for having me on the show. As you said, my name is uh, Joel White, and I'm the managing director and founder of a company called uh, Ramsey & White, uh, Finance for Property Investors. So we're a specialist mortgage brokerage, specifically focusing on helping property investors across the UK finance their deals. So we're regulated by the FCA. and We're not tied to any one lender. So it's our job to specifically find the right product that fits your kind of requirements for your funding or your project in hand. Um, so we work with investors from buy-to-let investors all the way up to developers. Um, a lot of the transactions we're seeing at the moment are HMO deals. So how they're entering a the deal and then maybe looking for money to refurb that project and then exiting on a ter- onto a term product. Um, so, ta- so tell us a little bit, we'll, we'll come on to the, you know, the specialist stuff in a second, if that's okay. Tell us a little bit about your background then. So where did it yeah. all start for you? How did you get into the industry? Yeah, okay. So. If we went way back, I was in the British Army when I left school. So I did that for a few years. And um, everything for me has been all about progression. How do I move forward? Um, and I think I got taught discipline in the Army and how to conduct myself and personal pride, etc. cetera, uh, which I probably would imagine you would have got a bit from the, from the military yourself, uh, from the uh, forces. So um, I went into a state agency. Um, I was at university at the time. And a friend of mine uh, dropped out of... Um, uh, uni and he got a job uh, as an estate agent and I was living with him at the time and for two weeks every day he was complaining about being an estate agent going on viewings um, having to sell these properties making these kind of calls for potential vendors tenants etc buyers but every time he was talking about it I was really interested and said oh I, actually I fancy a go at that I think I could be pretty good so um, that's what I decided to do um, I always had a kind of passion for property but I didn't know how I'd get into it um, but that seemed like a, a natural kind of progression route into into the market. So I applied for five estate agencies in London and I didn't have a clue kind of what I was doing, the areas at the time I wanted to work in. Uh, but I remember uh, uh, an MD of an estate agent gave me an opportunity uh, just because I think I was persistent um, with my approach saying I, I will deliver results. But, yeah, I went into uh, London, one of the West London uh, branches. It was an independent estate agent at the time. And they set me off as a junior kind of uh, sales negotiator. From there, I worked my way up into the lettings department and there into uh, running a branch eventually. So um, from there, um, I loved working with buy-to-let investors and developers. Um, I remember a guy used to turn up every day about two o'clock to view properties. And I said, is this your lunch break? Um, how do you get time off in between work to view these properties? He said, oh, no, this is what I do full time. I, I invest in property. And I thought, oh, OK, that's interesting. So he kind of schooled me of kind of 
what he was doing in the investor market and i thought okay that that's kind of where i want to be um and i wanted to buy my first buy to let and i got recommended a mortgage advisor and i went to see this mortgage advisor and he was really old school i mean he had a slick back hair he's probably in his late 60s he was still smoking in his office he just said leave it and i'll sort it out for you and i was naive at the time and i said okay no problem so i left it to him and in hindsight I could have had a better product, a better service, and all around a better approach and understanding to that product and that deal. Um, as from an estate agency point of view, I understand how to find properties, I understand the yield and return on investment, but I didn't understand leverage and using the bank's money to fund these deals. And for me, I need to kind of understand everything. So I wanted to find out how to become a mortgage advisor, how I could understand how to finance these deals and work with these lenders. So the company I was working with at the time with training mortgage advisors. So I got I asked for the opportunity to to uh, train as a mortgage advisor, residential mortgage advisor, which they thought was alien because um, I was a branch manager at the time and the branch manager got paid on everything the branch did. So from negotiators um, to the conveyance and referrals to what the mortgage advisor did. But the mortgage <laughs> advisor branch only got paid on what the mortgage advisor did, right? But I was starting with the end in mind. I knew this, I was going to be in property for the long term and having a kind of understanding of the whole of the market would give me, hold me in better standing when investing in property for myself. So I, 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 pers I persevered with it. They gave me the opportunity um, and they trained me up as a residential advisor. So I got, I worked in a, resi a residential branch first-time buyers, home movers, and the odd buy-to-let investor. And these were the people I was really drawn to, the investors, but there just wasn't enough of them. So um, it was great working with the first-time buyers, home movers, because they're very emotional and you're helping people get kind of their dream homes, et cetera, or get on that property ladder. But again, my passion was the investments and, and being in that market, the creativity. So um, I looked at how I could work with property professionals uh, on a more day-to-day -day basis uh, and at a higher level. So then I got introduced to a commercial brokerage where I kind of learned my trade um, in working with property investors. And I worked there for about 18 months, traveling up and down the country, meeting property investors from all different backgrounds, different kind of business strategies. And then I started building relationships with them and the lenders that were funding these type of deals. So from service accommodation, buy to let, HMOs, developments, um, and then just threw myself in at the deep end. Um, and, and that's kind of how it's begun, really. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, well, thanks for that. That's um, a whistle-stop tour. Uh, what <laughs> so what time scales um, did all of that take place, Joel? How how long ago? Yeah. So I'd say from around 2012, I finished university. So after the army, I went to university because I thought that was the right thing to do to get educated um, and then get a good job. Um, but when I was there, I remember my dad saying, "What are you going to do?" And I was like, "Well, <laughs> I've got to do this course." And he said, "You're not going to make much money off that." So I thought, okay, um, what can I do? And I've seen a state agency as the kind of route. So 2012, I then went up to London and I was there for a couple of years. Um, and then I moved uh, down to South Wales, uh, where I studied and where my wife's from and where we invest in properties. Um, so there I was in the estate. So I went from an independent to a corporate estate agent <clears throat> uh, for about three years. Um, I was there and I from branch, from negotiator to branch manager. And then, okay, and then cool. for the last few years, it's been uh, finance. So let's talk about the finance then, because yeah. um, this is what you do now. So your company, uh, Ramsey & White, um, yeah. 
tell us what it does. Tell us what it specializes in. Uh, and then we'll sort of, well, we'll pick a few questions from that because I know that um, I've got a lot of questions for you. You know, sometimes people get a bit confused when it comes to financing HROs yeah. with what they can and what they can't do. So what does Ramsey and White do, Joel, um, specifically? Okay, so Ramsey and White specifically helps property investors like yourselves finance their projects. So we'll take a view on your deal from making an offer all the way through to completion, making sure the deal stacks up, it's feasible, and then getting the right finance in place by working with the challenger banks, the larger banks, <clears throat> second charge lenders, whatever it might be, <laughs> pardon me, whoever it might be, um, and whatever funding you might need for your project. So uh, basically, we could have, uh, say, for example, a newbie investor. They, they are in this community, they haven't ever financed a deal before, they don't know where to start. So we'll speak to them on a kind of consultation basis, take them through a fact find, where they are, where they want to be over the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months, what kind of business model they're working on or uh, strategy they're looking at, and let them know what finance options are available, how much it's going to cost them on a monthly basis, what's the maximum borrowing, kind of educate them around that process until they find that right um, property, or project to work on and then we'll step in we kind of see ourselves or some of our clients see us as part of their team uh, within their property business so we know if we can help our investor clients um, secure right finance and build a robust portfolio um, ultimately our business is going to be successful as well so we just kind of sit in there helping uh, our investors like an accountant would or a solicitor we just sit there and take care of the finance for them okay thanks joan so how hard is it for people to get a HMO mortgage. So we get a lot of questions in the group. Yeah. And sometimes people say, well, they want to go out and they want to do a buy to let property first for lots of reasons, maybe because it's experience based. Yeah. But um, they also say that it might be easier for them to get buy to let experience before they go on to HMO. So what's your thoughts on that? I've got my own thoughts on it. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, maybe you could clarify that for us, Joel. Yeah, I mean, it's the reason like, why do you want to get into HMOs? And normally, uh, when we ask this question, the investor says, uh, they want the higher yield the higher return on investment or they may be replacing um their income uh through property and what's the quickest way normally hmos do that over buy to lets so you can see why people want to get into the hmo market um, and we're seeing some really fantastic products coming to market at the moment but the, the 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 general kind of trend is that people believe that they can't get into the hmo market uh straight away they need like buy to lets in the background um and have that experience before getting into hmo so um majority of lenders will want you to have six months 12 months uh two years even experience in the buy to let or renting properties out before they let you transition into hmos however there are lenders in the marketplace that will allow you to um buy a hmo with little or no experience it's just about um understanding which lenders will offer that now, my kind of thought process is, well, if you are in a community like this and you understand the legislation, what's going on and understand your area and the tenant demand, you've done your own due diligence. Why can't you go into HMO straight away if that strategy works for you and your ultimate end goals? So, um, yeah, would they take into consideration you know, when they say experience, would they take into consideration experience through education rather than hands on? So commercial lenders would take a view on having that in there but really what they want to see is um landlord experience okay so either six months 12 months or 24 months 
landlord experience where you've owned another property and rented that out and managed that property. If you're moving into kind of the commercial space and you've told them you've you work with these guys who are training providers, they are well known by the commercial lenders. So they'll, they'll factor that in. But if you look at their criteria, it won't be on the lender's criteria, but it definitely helps um, with the client's own mindset and putting their ducks in a row, as, as it were, to get the right funding. So, Joel, you said that there are some lenders out there that would take into consideration um, people that don't have any property experience. Who are they? So, for example, um, <laughs> Kemp Reliance um, will allow you to ha buy a HMO um, as long as you own another property. So that could be a residential property. Um, now, they'll go up to 85% loan to value if you have experience. So if you don't have experience, then it'll go to a maximum of 75% loan to value. Um, if you own another property, if you own a property for six months, they define uh, experience with six months or more, um, then you can go up to that 85% loan to value product. Now, if you don't own any properties, then some people, what they do is they could acquire, a, say, a, a personal dwelling or a, a house that they're going to convert into HMO on a bridging loan. They could have that over a six to nine month period where they bought the property. Um, they've done the refurb, they then tenanted it out, and then suddenly they've got the experience to uh, term out onto a HMO lender. Like okay. Using a, a few terminologies that maybe some other people in the group won't understand just yet. So whilst we're on to that then, so you led us on nicely really to what is the best product for people in the group that are taking on C3 properties, so normal houses, and then with the view to converting them into c4 properties which are hmos how do people finance that is there a bespoke product or would it have to be through bridging yes it's a really good question so um the traditional way would be uh through bridging um or cash to buy the property and then once it's converted then onto a term hmo product so from a lender's point of view the, the property has to be fit for purpose so if you're saying we're going to run this as a hmo then if a value goes out to the property are they going to say it is a hmo does it have the right fire doors alarms etc in place if not then they might say well this isn't actually a hmo so we can't fund it on this product so you'd normally use bridging which would allow you to acquire the asset and then do the, the necessary works to convert that into hmo and then you can finance out so there are other lenders that offer kind of a bridge to hmo or bridge to buy to let product which you can do it kind of all under one roof and kind of gets around any six month rule and saves you on additional charges from going from one lender to another. So but the right way would be to bridge the purchase, then convert. I mean, we've seen it in the past where people have used buy to let products, where they bought the property and then convert. But from a lender's point of view, that can be seen as mortgage manipulation. And if you want to build a relationship with these lenders in the marketplace and want to be seen to do things properly as a professional landlord, then you want to be using the right products. So how hard is it? So I'm um, with bridging. I know bridging is easier to get. Um, how hard will it be then afterwards to get the mortgage? So how do, how do your customers know that you, maybe they've got a six month or a 12 month bridging term and then in 12 months, you know, it needs to be financed back out. So what can our, what can our community do in order to establish whether or not they will get a, a term mortgage at the end of the bridging? 
Yeah, so that's a really good question, Rick. And I think it's always start with the end in mind, right? So what's the end kind of goal? Well, we want a HMO that's a six bed in this area rented to young professionals. And we think you got to start there and think, well, well what, what's that going to be worth kind of on a bricks and mortar basis? Or if you're looking at bigger, larger properties commercially, what's that going to be worth? So if you start there and work backwards, so if you know how much it's going to be worth and you know how much you need to kind of refinance that from borrowing the, the finance up front, that might be towards the purchase and also work costs, then what lender is going to take it on a term product? And what you need to do is make sure that you fit that criteria and speaking to the right finance brokers, they'll establish that. Now, if you get put onto a bridging product, these lenders need to be seen, want to be, need to be seen to be lending responsibly. So they need to understand what's your exit. And that might be refinancing or it might be selling if you were doing a flip, for example. If you are doing a flip, then what's the demand like in the area for selling? How long is that going to take? If you're looking at HMOs, okay which lenders will allow you to refinance what does the portfolio like if there's not a portfolio what experience do they have okay do they have any income what's their age are they buying for a limited company or in sole names how many directors are on going to be on the application do they all fit the criteria so you need to be speaking to your advisor saying look we want to buy this property we want to convert it to a hmo and then we want to and then we want to rent it out to young professionals so as an advisor i'd be saying right What's your time frame? What are you looking to do? How much do you need to borrow? This is the lender you can go into the deal at. But more importantly, this is the lender that's going to take you out of it. Um, and we want to be speaking to that lender. Now, their terms might change in that time frame, but we can offer you kind of an understanding of today's market and today's rates. Um, but it's important that communication is key throughout that process. Speaking to that bridging lender, <laughs> no, that actually the exit is here and this is how they're getting on throughout the project. So what we'd be saying is during the project, make sure you're updating your broker or lender if you're going direct um mm. to let how it's going because it might be it might be going quicker than you think or in in a lot of cases it might be overrunning and therefore you might need an extension or you might just want to let them know that actually we might be refinancing just a little bit and how does that look communication is key joel isn't it and especially at the beginning you know when people go into the hmo world or anything, no matter what you do, you've got to be completely transparent. You've got to tell your broker exactly what it is you're looking to achieve, and then yeah. they can go out and find the best product for you. So, so that leads me on nicely then to, <clears throat> so we've talked about um, bridging. Mm -hmm. If a, well, a member of our community has a HMO product and they decide that um, at some point during the term of the mortgage, they want to change the interior of the property, they might want to maybe build out into the garage or into the loft or something. Do they need permission from the mortgage advisor in order to do that? Not the advisor, the mortgage <laughs> company. I wish it was that easy. I could give them advice. Um, the permission. No, you just need, you'd need to speak to your current lender. So it depends on what you're looking to do. So if you're just um, maybe just adding another bedroom or putting an ensuite, it depends on the extent of the work. But if you're doing a full-blown extension, maybe adding a couple of rooms and a couple of en-suites and looking to increase value and potentially refinance, then depending on the lender, they'd normally ask that you do ask permission because at the end of the day, that loan is held against that property, which is their security. So they want to make sure that you're not going to be doing anything that could have an impact or downvalue that property. So they just want to understand uh, what you're looking to do. But okay. nine times out of 10, that's, quite an easy process to go through and they'd be happy to accommodate my next question joel is probably the most popular question that we get asked so lots of people think that they can come and buy a house and yeah. put a bed 
you know what's coming and put a bed in the front room yeah. and then flip it out for 10 times the gross rent yeah. and get paid as a commercial property. Now, of course, I know um, probably what you're going to tell me here, but because, um, you know, there were lots of people, I mean, a little bit flippant, you know, um, yeah. lots of people in the community that think they literally can buy a house, turn it to HMO and then get a commercial valuation. So can yeah. you help us through that? Can you help our community understand <laughs> what requirements are needed in order to get that commercial valuation and is it always possible yeah absolutely i probably get asked um once a day about commercial valuations <laughs> i can uh, be there so <laughs> it is a hot topic um i understand why people want commercial valuations they want a momentum invest they pull their money back out go again and um a, a couple of years ago you would see commercial uh, these smaller properties obtain these kind of full-blown commercial valuations but what we've seen definitely over the last 12 to 18 months is lenders move away from these kind of smaller type hmos on the full-blown commercial valuations so for example if you buy a terraced house it's a free bed and you're converting it into a five bed hmo then and you maybe take like you said gone through um the reception rooms and made them into bedrooms and now you're asking a lender to give you a commercial valuation of say eight, nine, ten times. Why would um, an investor come along and buy that property at that inflated value when they could buy the one next door and do exactly the same for a margin of the price that you've paid and, and done? So that it doesn't make sense from the lenders to give a commercial valuation on that property because they're going to be overexposed in the market. Say, for example, you default on that loan and they need to repossess it and sell then and they've leveraged above the bricks and mortar value then you're not going to obtain it so for example we, we spoke about this in london recently um if you had a property that was bricks and mortar worth two hundred fifty thousand, and the rental income was fifty thousand per, per annum then on a 10 times multiplier that might be that would give it a five hundred thousand pound valuation but there's no lender in the market that's going to do that what we've seen in some cases is they cap the bricks and mortar value, a cap over at 30% above the bricks and mortar. So at 250, that would give you a valuation of 325. And then what they're going to do is lend, say, 75% against that or 90%, which basically gives you uh, a 90% against that, that commercial valuation will give you 225, which is actually below the bricks and mortar valuation. Mm it have to repossess it um they are they can sell it and they'd still get their money back out they can sell it at bricks and mortar value of the, the the 250 okay so now with commercial valuations it does come down to the valuer's opinion um however there's some factors we can draw upon from it past experience so if you look at um if if you buy in a commercial, if we've done one recently where they they bought uh, an old um, solicitor practice and they converted that into an eight bedroom, fully licensed, uh, went through the planning process, HMO, that's going to be rented out to young professionals. Now, there's no way you can sell that as, as a personal dwelling on the market. There's no home mover or first time buyer that wants to buy that. Only an investor is going to buy that. That warrants a commercial valuation. That's the fabric of the building has been significantly changed. Um, there's ensuite bathrooms. It, it, it's a substantial size bigger than your typical terraced free five bed house. So that warrants commercial valuation. Um, so it's really important for investors to understand that uh, if you want to get commercial valuation, 
then you've got to be looking at the larger projects and working with the commercial valuers in, in your area to understand the commercial valuation. So, for example, if this is what I see people do, which they don't want to do. So they've got a free bed, they convert into a five bed and they say, Joel, I want a commercial valuation. I think it's worth X. And I say, look, based on experience, you're probably not going to attain that. It's more like a bricks and mortar. Or in some cases, it might be a purchase price plus a refurb. We've seen that like a kind of a hybrid valuation. They go, no, I believe it's going to be a commercial value. What are you going to do? You're going to pay a commercial lender a commercial valuation, which is going to be a lot larger than your, your bricks and mortar valuation. <clears throat> they'll, they'll still instruct the commercial value to go out. That commercial value is going to say, actually, this property is worth X amount, which is a lot less than your, you think commercial valuation. The lender is going to say, OK, <clears throat> based on the valuer's comments, we will lend against his value at 75 percent would you like to proceed and you've gone so far through the process you'll say yeah actually i'll proceed but what you've done then is got a, a bricks and mortar valuation but you paid for a commercial um the values the bricks and mortar is 75 percent of that but you're paying commercial rates so mm. it doesn't make sense to go down that process you might as well be realistic with yourself and say actually the property stacks up on a bricks and mortar basis and therefore, I should look at a bricks and mortar lender and get the cheaper rates because ultimately you're going to get better return on your investment. So, if it looks like a house and it smells like a house, let's just go for a bricks and mortar valuation. If we get any uplift, then great. Yeah, you know, yeah. if we can get the house below market value in the first place, or if we can get any uplift, then that's that's you know that's absolutely brilliant i've got loads more questions here joel sorry for moving on i know we're yeah. already 25 minutes in i can't believe where the time's gone okay. um the the next question and you probably get this as well every day um yeah. can i borrow my deposit to buy a hmo can i borrow so um with the majority of lenders the answer is no in terms of if you are borrowing 75 percent from a lender and you're borrowing 25% from a friend and they want that money back, the lender feels like there's no skin in the game, as it were. Therefore, what is the likelihood that you're going to look after that investment or that security, that property for the lender? So that they see it as higher risk. So they're going to say no. So the majority of lenders are, are, are no. Um, now, if you were to borrow that money against a second charge, in the portfolio or a further advance in the portfolio and there was an rx1 form and the lender had visibility of that through your solicitor then that would be seen as acceptable or if you're working with some of the commercial lenders or the challenger banks that um you're say you're raising private finance and you've got loan agreements in place then they will consider that as well but they will want to understand and see visibility of the loan agreement and how that's structured. So if you are going down that route, it's just a case of uh, presenting it to your broker. And I think this is a really important thing. Um, as a broker, guys, we work for you. We do have relationships with the lender. They are our clients as well. But if you are not completely transparent with you, us, then we can't best position you with the lender. So if you give us all the information up front, um, then we can position you uh, with the lender and help you go through that process a lot more quicker but yeah so if for example i've had clients in the past who are borrowing money but they haven't told us to last minute and i said well actually this is the wrong lender this can't be structured like this you're only wasting time so if you're completely upfront, then we can structure that so to answer your question majority lenders no there are some lenders yes but it needs to be structured correctly 
Um, yeah, and it is about communication and being honest up front. And I've got one more question, um, and then we've got, we've got a couple just come in now as well. Yeah. Um, lease options. So um, I know we don't use the terminology lease options because lenders probably don't like that. But if any of our community um, have lease options at the moment, how, what's the best way of financing those? So, for example, they purchase, they have an option to purchase a property at 250000 over five years. Yeah. In five years' time, for example, it's now worth 300000 So how do they get that £50,000 out of that deal? What is the best way to structure it? Yeah, so it's a good question. I've had that a few times recently, actually. And um, again, it's just working with it. It's work, It's positioning it with the lender so they can understand uh, what's happened. Has there been any, any uh, value added in 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 the process of that property? And then um, from a lender's point of view, they just want to understand that it's not a below market transaction um, because they could see that that potentially they're the secure what's going on because if if a property got repos if if a client's basically going um not going into solvency so they're going bankrupt then technically they can come after the assets in the background so if they're selling their property quickly quick fire for a lower price they think that money that their money could be at risk basically so that's where they're looking at it from so it's just giving the lenders the assurance that this is a legitimate deal that's being done uh, upfront and it's been all agreed uh, in contracts and then you can finance it uh, with would, just, it, uh, would, it, would it be better to um finance it with bridging at market value yeah. and pay off the landlord and then yeah. finance onto a traditional product at market value yeah so that's another option you can look at so you can have lenders who go straight out and then obviously the other way is you look at like bridging lenders who will accept the transaction um some bridging lenders will go market value up to 85 percent loan to value once you've got that then you refinance either depending on hmo or buy to let because you see a lot of um people go through the rent to rent then lease option kind of process on these hmos and then actually tired landlords want to sell and they take uh, advantage of that so yeah that's another option to look at as well okay so there's lots of things there that uh, anyone can consider so i've got some questions coming in onto the feed uh, first one is sorry, folks. We don't know who you're from because um, unfortunately we don't get to see your name on uh, this be live feed. It doesn't tell us, but it says here comments from viewer. Hi, we are trying to start up in property. Could you tell us if it's easy to take out equity in our own home as a deposit to buy an HMO or buy to let or service accommodation? Yeah, so it it's pretty straightforward. Um, the first thing you want to do is be speaking to your your uh, mortgage broker or let or, or lender. So if you've got a residential property and you've got equity in that property, then there's a few things you can look at. You can first of all you can look at re remortgaging the whole loan, <clears throat> but that might be the cheapest way. But you might have early repayment charges on that current mortgage. If that is the case that lender may offer you a further advance which is basically a product that runs alongside your existing mortgage and just gives you that additional money to release to go into to property now some lenders won't allow you to do further advances for, for further investment so again you need to discuss that with your lender or, or broker uh, another option is a second charge where you take a second a charge over the property that sits behind the existing mortgage and you can use that to go and fund other projects but um, yeah, we've done uh, a lot of uh, clients start there where they release equity from their property. You just want to make sure that it's affordable. Can you still afford your own mortgage and the additional borrowing 
um, to buy the property. So, but sometimes some people look at it like, well, if I'm borrowing an additional 3% from a further advance or second charge, and then my new investment's going to give me a 17% return on investment, it kind of pays for itself. Uh, but affordability is what's going to uh, come into factor there. But yeah, it can be done. Thank you, Joel. Got another one here, Joel. Someone asking, how can they contact you if they need advice? Yeah, um, so you can email me directly uh, at joel, J-O-E-L dot white at ramseyandwhite.com. Um, you can add me on Facebook, Joel White, um, or you can uh, go to our website, www.ramseyandwhite.com and contact us via there. Fantastic. Joel, I've got another question here. Do they consider, when they say they, I'm presuming you mean the banks, do they consider accidental landlord experience um, when you rent out a property to a friend or family as relevant experience? So if you're a homeowner, occupier, and then, you, and then you've moved into uh, a property with your girlfriend or boyfriend, husband, whatever it may be, and then you've, you've rented that property out for a period of time, um, then when making new applications, you, you have had landlord experience, although it's we class it as land uh, accidental. Yes. Okay, so then they can take that into consideration. Fantastic. Joel, I think you've answered all of those questions there. We are now 30 minutes in. Um, what, what have you got planned for the rest of the day? How's your diary looking? Yeah, thank you. So um, busy day today, uh, Rick. Just uh, I'm back to back with meetings. I've got um, three investors that we're meeting um, in Cardiff today and then two lenders. So we meet with lenders on a weekly basis. So bridging development and buy to HMO lenders that just let us know about their new products come to market because the market's ever changing. So we just want to keep up to date with the products and then we kind of release that information. So yeah, busy day, just meeting three new investors and uh, a couple of lenders about new products that are coming to market. Busy day for you. I've got another question, Joel, because I, don't, I, yeah. wanna, I know I'm conscious of your time and I know we said 30 minutes today. Yes. Um, Serviced accommodation is pretty yeah. sexy at the moment. You know, lots of people are doing it. Um, yeah. There doesn't seem to be much out there at the moment. I know there was one product that came in about two or three months ago, but the rates were massive. Um, is it going to change? Is there something coming into the market that can plug that gap? Yeah, I mean, serviced accommodation is a hot topic right now. I mean, and you can see why the return on investment, it's like the HMOs, the higher yields, it's very attractive. A lot of lenders haven't really caught up with it. I mean, some of the commercial lenders, um, were operating in that space like Cambridge and County Bank where they'd let you uh, buy a property and run it as an SA but they would value it on a single ASD basis so that but their rates were quite quite high and you had other lenders in the marketplace would uh, almost look at it like on a holiday let basis um, which they'd look at your personal income so you need to afford your own mortgage plus um, the, new, the new mortgage as well. So you couldn't really scale that and there was restrictions of how you let that property. However, there is um, a lender that's just coming to the market, which is Foundation Home Loans. And now they've just released a cert, like an Airbnb style product for SA uh, kind of users. Now their rates start around 2.99%, so a lot more competitive. And that's for individuals or limited companies. Um, you don't need a track record. There's no minimum income requirements. Um, and they will just value the property as a single AST. So what do I mean? If you have uh, a two bed flat in Liverpool that if you rented it on SA per month would give you, I don't know, £2,000 a month. But as a single AST would rent for £800 a month, they will go off that value. So £800 a month and they'll give you a maximum loan against that 
However, you can still run it on a service accommodation basis. So they're the, one of the cheapest lender in the market at, at, that I've seen. Um, they really promote this product. So yeah, they're a good, good one to use. So we've just done a few with, with them. Um, what about the um, principality? Do they do? I know they do holiday accommodation. Do they do service accommodation type stuff as well or not? Yeah. So the the thing with them, they'll look at it, they take a view and, and holiday let. But um, most people we're dealing with at the moment are buying through limited companies, mm. so they won't look at it from that point of view. But they will look at the holiday let uh, style property let uh, um, transactions. Yeah, we've got um, we got some of our holiday accommodation with the principality. Took yeah. a long, long time, Joel, to get it. You know, it was it wasn't a quick process with them. It was yeah. almost like they were lending us their own money out of their own pocket. You know, it was really yeah. painful, um, yeah. but we got there in the end. And great rates as well. Really, yeah, good I was going to say, yeah, the rate you can't knock the rates. They're, they're very competitive, aren't they? So, and I've got some of my buy to lets with them as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, they are a good lender um, yeah. in that respect. Fantastic. Joe, I am conscious of your time. I know you're busy today, so am I. So I wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today. Joel, thank you so much for joining us today. Have an awesome day. Thank you, Rick, for your time. Thanks for having me. Go Tenant, the revolutionary new property software built by landlords and trusted by tenants. GoTenant is your one-stop property management assistant that will take the pain away from your tenant recruitment process and the management of your properties. From advertising your property to maintenance reporting, electronic signatures to full property management software. Stop worrying about double bookings and the hassle of unnecessary admin because GoTenant is here to enable you to seamlessly run your portfolio from anywhere in the world. Go to gotenants.co.uk to find out more.